Good morning. Good morning. My name's Simon. If you don't know me, uh, I'm one of the leaders here, um, along with Raj and Gavin, who you just met, and Saroosh, who is um, not here. He's been uh, invited to go and speak at a Catholic church, of all places, through his connect food bank connections. So we want to pray for him this morning, and we pray for him as he, he was there last night, and he's there uh, this morning. Um, invited to speak there, teach about Jesus. Wonderful. Uh, so do pray for him. Um, okay, so we uh, started a new series uh, um, a couple of weeks ago uh, that Raj kicked off around uh, our new values. And so if you weren't here um, two weeks ago, what I'd encourage you to do is go, go on the website or look for the podcast and have a listen um, to it because it was excellent in terms of setting the scene for what we mean when we talk about values. See, when we talk about values, we're not talking about every single value that a church should have. You know, when we talk about our values, we're, we're not particularly talking about being a Bible-believing church necessarily, although we are a Bible-believing church. We're not, talk, we're not really focusing, but there's nothing in our values that says grace, although we really believe in the grace of God. Nothing that talks about compassion directly. We really want to be compassionate people. But we, there are these four values that we believe God's called us to that will shape the feel and the atmosphere of Jubilee over the years to come. Uh, and that's what values do. They shape a, 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 a feel or an atmosphere of a place or of a community. Businesses have values. You know, when you go shopping, you might enter into a shop. They will have values that they, they work it by or coffee shops because they want you to feel a certain feel when you go there and when you interact with them. But far from being a business concept, values are a part of everyday life. They're everywhere. Families will have values. may not particularly be written down as a statement, but fam all families have values, don't they? And lots of different families have lots of different values. And churches have values. And if you don't identify and highlight your values they will be set and highlighted some other way, subconsciously. Um, so we really believe that God has called us to pursue, as a community of people, to pursue these values that we're speaking about over these next four weeks. And we're going to speak on a different one each week. And so this morning we're going to speak on We Rejoice. We Rejoice. In the prayer meeting last week or the week before, we learned what it was in Farsi. Can anyone remember what We Rejoice was? Marion was... Uh, can you remember what We Rejoice it's over there, is it? Oh, likely excuse. We rejoice in Farsi is... I've forgotten it already. Go on, Sasan, shout it out. Again. Right, there we go. <laughs> we rejoice. We rejoice. So, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Matthew is in the New Testament of the Bible, so um, it's an account of Jesus' life, much of his life, and it includes uh, parables and, or stories that Jesus told to kind of convey his teaching, get across messages, and we're going to be looking at one of those this morning. It's very short, blink and you will miss it, so I'm just going to read it out for us now. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, 
he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. One of the biggest treasure finds in the UK happened just this year. Did anyone see it in the news? Just a few months ago, you might have spotted it. It might have been on something you were listening to or watching. But it was a a hoard of ancient silver coins found in Somerset, uh, kind of southwest uh, England. And some of the coins dated back to 1066. And they could tell that because of some of the the kings on on some of the different coins. Um, So these are really old coins. This is an old find. There are over two and a half thousand of these coins and that kind of they estimate that equates nowadays and there's an estimated value of these coins of five million pounds could you imagine your delight at finding these it, and experts say it was likely that they were probably buried by someone who wanted to keep them safe for a period of time hey that really worked didn't it almost a thousand years later they get dug up by uh, a couple called adam and lisa and as you can imagine, they were ecstatic when they found these. There are two detectorists that, that found it as they were out treasure hunting. They even appeared on Treasure Hunting magazine. I know this is something that many of us will subscribe to, I'm sure, and get in the post every month. But they even made it on the front of Treasure Hunting magazine because of their find. So we're going to be looking at a different kind of treasure this morning. And I've got three points that we're going to focus on. And Um, Those three points, not only do they begin with the first letter, they begin with the first and second letter. I'm really impressed by this, Uh, although I've slightly slightly cheated, as we're going to see. First, chara, or kara, joy, which is the, the Greek word that's written in our passage, joy. Jesus tells this story about a man who finds treasure in a field. And again, 2,000 years ago, it would have been very normal to hide your uh, possessions or some of your money um, in uh, uh, in a field, in in somewhere, for safekeeping. They didn't have uh, ways that we could store resources or finance. You may just bury it in your field. Uh, uh, Similar to um, what has happened there in Somerset. Um, and we're not told that this man's earned it. We're not told that he's done anything to deserve it. We're not even told, actually, that he was looking for it. But hey, this man has hit the big time. And he realizes what he's found, and it causes him joy. And it's not a complicated story, this one. Jesus is saying, look, that's what it's like When you encounter new spiritual life in me, the natural response, the logical response, is to rejoice, says Jesus. You know, we have so much to rejoice about. But you know what? Sometimes we can think that joy is the exact opposite of what the Christian life can be. We can kind of think, the more unhappy I am, the less joy I'm experiencing and living in, well, that must mean the more holy I'm becoming. (laughs) See, that's not what Jesus says here. It's not what the message of the Bible is. Listen, this is what um, Peter, 
one of Jesus' closest friends writes uh, in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, he's writing about Jesus, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. See, I think if we think that less joy equals uh, more holiness, then it might be that we haven't grasped all that Jesus has done for you and I. We may have turned Christianity into simply a religion where we do nice things and we're nice to the people around us. This is what the Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth said. He said this, Our churches are full of the nicest, kindest people. Nice thing to say, isn't it? Who never have known the despair of guilt or the breathless wonder of forgiveness. The despair of guilt or the breathless wonder of forgiveness. Listen, when, when we realise that none of us have been the reflection of God's goodness and beauty that we were created to be in this world, when we realise that we'd be guilty before him, yet the penalty of that sin was placed on Jesus, when we realise that, that he forgives everything we have much to rejoice about when we realize as we sang this morning that as far as the east is from the west he's removed our transgressions our sin that thing that kept us from him from knowing him that he's removed it as far as the east is from the west how far is the east from the west a blooming long way that's what he's saying as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions. He's not keeping them and holding them back just to see how we get on and if, if we mess up, well, he'll bring them back and remind us of them. No, no, he's removed them so that we can know him and know the joy of forgiveness. It's amazing. We rejoice because we found Jesus or he's found us. We rejoice that nothing can separate us from that love that he has for us. We rejoice that now when he looks at us. When the Father looks at you, he sees the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus. And he says, there's my child, and I love them, and I'm for them, and they're mine. Listen, one, all, of our stra- all of our values have a strap line that go with them. And you might have seen it on the first slide. We kind of say, we hold this value because God is this. They're rooted in who God is. So we rejoice because God is our strength and our song. It's taken from um, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 12, he's saying, hundreds of years before Jesus um, comes on the scene, Isaiah is prophesying about what it would be like to know this coming Messiah. And he says, you'll, be, you'll say, you're my strength and my song. This is what it would be like when people find Jesus. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, you, can, you, you can't rejoice because you've found some kind of joy from within you. 
that you've suddenly discovered or that you're just a, a, a naturally sunny type of person and that actually you find it easy to rejoice. No, no, you can rejoice because you've found the greatest treasure, greater than a hoard of thousands of years old coins. Friendship with Jesus. This, the greatness of this parable, this story that Jesus told, came to me about 20 years ago when a friend of mine helped me to see it. And his name was Duncan. I think there's probably one or two people that, in this room that know Duncan. Um, and he would often explain to me this story of Jesus by relating it to his own life. Duncan grew up in a family that didn't believe in God. More than that, they actually encouraged disbelief in God. That the belief in God was for weak people, was for misguided people. That joy was found in success. Joy was found in intellect. Joy was found in making something of yourself. And Duncan went off to university quite happy in this belief. He studied engineering. He was going to be a successful engineer because that would bring him ultimate joy and ultimate happiness. However, at uni, he started meeting some Christians who seemed to be very different. And he started to realize that actually, do you know what? They weren't misguided, weak people. But actually, they, had, they were people who had discovered this deep joy in God through a relationship with Jesus. And initially he argued with them and argued with them, but over a number of months came to the realization that he was deeply unsatisfied. Being a successful engineer wasn't going to satisfy that thing that he hungered for, that these Christians had. And so he made the decision to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. Because in Jesus he had found a treasure that brought him overwhelming joy, the joy that he had always longed for. Jubilee, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Does it cause your heart to rejoice and celebrate? Okay, secondly, choice. You see, this joy leads us to rejoice, but not in the way that the world thinks of joy. See, the world says you experience joy when things are going well, when life is good. When you're healthy, when the bank balance is good, when you've got a job, when you're in love, when your football team is doing well. We don't talk about that one, do we? <laughs> let's, let's look at the words of Paul, though, in, uh, that he writes in his letter to the Philippian church. He writes this, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In fact, I counted it. Paul mentions rejoicing and joy ten times in the letter. And get this. This is a guy that is writing from prison. He's writing it while he's shackled in chains in a prison for his faith. By our understanding, or our world's understanding, things are not looking rosy for Paul. 
See, we can often think, how am I feeling today? Do I feel like rejoicing? What's, what's happening? How am I feeling? Then I'll decide if I can rejoice today. How did it, when I wake up this morning, it was pretty horrible today. Oh, God, I don't think I want to rejoice today. No, no, we're to rejoice, not simply on how we feel or our circumstances, but rather, like Paul says, in the Lord. We're to rejoice in all Jesus has done for us. See, Paul's letter to the Philippians reminds me that joy, rejoicing, isn't like some kind of automatic download that we might put on our phone. See, if it was, Paul wouldn't be telling and encouraging this Philippian church to rejoice, would he? He wouldn't. He'd just think, well, it's automatic. You're Christians. You're going to rejoice. But no, no, he's telling them. He's saying, you can choose to rejoice. You can, t- you can decide to rejoice. He's saying to them, make the choice to rejoice. John Piper, the American Bible teacher, says that he says about joy that it's a gift and a fight. What does he mean by that? He means that actually, do you know what? Sometimes you won't want to feel like rejoicing. In fact, sometimes the world will be telling you and doing everything in order for you not to rejoice. It'll be a fight. And you will have to fight to rejoice. Let me just speak to um, people who are perhaps in their uh, 50s and 60s and 70s. And uh, I'm getting very nervous here, but (laughs) I'm feeling like, who who is this young man to... Yeah, and your 80s. Who is this young man to be lecturing me? But... I was talking to a couple in this age group recently who said, you know what, we are finding it incredibly hard, and there's no one in this church, so don't worry, we are, we are finding it incredibly hard to be around people our age and not, well, just moan. <laughs> just, just be negative, just to find faults in life. See, we often say, don't we, that it's hard being a student or it's hard being a teenager when you're at school or when you're at university to be a Christian and live for Jesus. And that's absolutely true. I'm sure it is. I'm looking around at some of our young people. I'm sure it is hard sometimes to be a, stu- be a student, be a pupil at a school and live for Jesus around that. But do you know what? I think we need to encourage our 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s to rejoice in the Lord. When those around you just want to criticise things. When those around you just want to pull you down to how they're feeling. And just be negative. Let's pray for you guys that you'll rejoice in the Lord. Well, let's do it now. Let's do it now, actually. Yeah. Let's do it now. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for uh, our community here that are in that age group. And we want to pray that rejoicing in the Lord would be theirs day by day that they would, you would cause and strengthen them to rejoice in you. We want to pray that it would be something that speaks of your goodness, speaks of your love, points to you, signposts to you, that they would um, uh, know, look, it's not a, a light that comes from me, it's not that I can bubble up joy in my own efforts, but I, I want you to see the lighthouse. I want you to see the one that shines in the darkness. And I'm following him. Lord Jesus, send your spirit to encourage uh, that age group today and this week and this year and forevermore. Amen. Amen. It can be a fight to rejoice. It can. Whatever your age is, actually, it can be a fight 
to rejoice sometimes. Your asylum status, your family circumstances, your job, your finances. Uh, I'm aware that actually today it might have been a struggle for some of you just to come here today. There might have been just very little sense of you wanting to rejoice and be with the people of God today in this place. But the Christian response isn't, well, just get over it. Or actually it isn't either. Well, just think some positive thoughts. Just kind of think your way out of it. Actually, it's this, that even in the midst of difficulty and sorrow, there can be goodness, there can be rejoicing in the goodness of God. Where we say, do you know what? My circumstances might not change, but I'm rejoicing in Jesus, who is good and who loves me. That's why Paul can write to the Corinthian church, sorrowful yet rejoicing. It doesn't make sense to us, does it? We think, how can that be, Paul? Sorrowful yet rejoicing? But no, no, he knows. You know, my, my, my joy isn't rooted in what I see, particularly in my circumstances, or in uh, what I might, or others might value. It's rooted in Jesus. He's the one who strengthens me and holds me through it. Finally, change. Let's come back to this story that Jesus tells. Rejoicing will change how we live. See, the reality of what this man in this story has discovered changes him, leads him to sell everything he has in order to have it. All he had, everything. This is radical joy. See, what will rejoicing look like in your life? Will it just be the same as everyone around you? Or will it lead to faith-filled, radical daily decisions for Jesus? How you spend your time, how you spend your money, who you hang out with, what decisions you make. See, the, the, I want us to see from this short parable, and Jesus wants to see, the motivation for godly living isn't guilt, it isn't that we can win over God and hopefully he'll be pleased with us. It's rejoicing. It's rejoicing. It's out of joy. That's what leads us to live differently. See, that's why we say rejoicing isn't simply 45 minutes on a Sunday morning when we sing songs together. No, no, we rejoice through life because it changes our whole life. You may not know or heard of these names before, but around 100 years ago, uh, a couple of American missionaries, Samuel and Amy Zremer, moved to the Bahrain um, from in the Middle East to tell people about Jesus. And as well as seeing many Muslims put their trust in Jesus, they experienced all kinds of troubles, all kinds of hardships, including the death of two of their children, and in a book on their life, it reads this. In spite of all the opposition and the small outward results that were apparent, in spite of the sacrifice of life and the intense heat 
and fever and loneliness, Zvema could exclaim, as he looked back 50 years later, but the sheer joy of it all comes back, he says. How gladly would I do it all again in some unoccupied seaport in Western Arabia? Joy had sustained them. Joy had led them. Joy led them to make a radical response and led them each day in all they did. See, rejoicing in God may not lead you to the Middle East, but it will lead you to live differently. It may just lead you to the street next to you. It may lead you to your school. And to live differently in your school it may lead you to your workplace and how you act and how you work when you're at work. Next month, we're going to be having our annual gift day. And we've got some priorities that we feel God's highlighted to us as we go into this gift day. But do you know what? The motivation as we go into our gift day isn't primarily these areas. It isn't. It's rejoicing in the Lord. This is, the, uh, this is Paul, the, the apostle's instructions when he's talking about giving. He says, each one of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, cheerful, it doesn't, it doesn't convey the full meaning. It sounds like a friendly window cleaner, doesn't it? No, it's, it's a giver who is bubbling with joy, overflowing with joy. It's one of the biggest reasons we have an annual gift day. Because we get to give to all that God's doing amongst us in joy. We get to express our love and our worship to Jesus. Listen, consider as much, just as much as you're perhaps considering and praying about how much you're going to give at the gift day, consider how you'll give. Not reluctantly, oh, if I have to. Well, we do this every year. But overflowing with joy, rejoicing in all that Jesus has done for you. And all that he wants to do through our giving. See, Jesus didn't just teach in stories the effect of rejoicing. He showed us. And we're going to end with this. And we're going to rejoice together. He showed us. And he showed us in his life and ultimately in his death. His death on the cross. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews says. For the joy that was set before him, for Jesus, for the joy that was set before Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus' death wasn't an untimely event. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an unfortunate event uh, to an otherwise well-lived life. Now, in something so dark, something so horrific, something so brutal, God was at work. And he was dealing with everything that was wrong between us and him. Putting it on Jesus placing it on Jesus. Everything that was causing us to be separated from God was put on Jesus at the cross. He took it on himself instead of us. What was his motivation? 
It's joy. It's joy. The joy of doing his Father's will. The joy of seeing restored people to God. The joy of seeing people like you and me, broken, disobedient, restored to God and made new. See, Jesus shows us what true rejoicing looks like. And do you know what? He gives us every reason to rejoice. Let's pray and we're going to worship. And the band come up. Why don't we stand if we can? Come on, let's pray together. Because God is here by his spirit. The spirit that brings joy to you and I. Brings the joy of God into our lives. Strengthens us. To live in joy. Spirit of God, you're here this morning. You're here and you are our strength and our song. And we want to ask, would you come and um, where perhaps where perhaps the world has looked to kind of crush us down? Whether we're... Where, where there's people here today where it's been a fight this week. It feels like it's been a real fight. God, come by your spirit and bring afresh all the goodness of Jesus to them. Every blessing that he has won for them on the cross. Lord, let it come alive afresh to them. We pray, Lord, come and fill us with your spirit that we might know uh, a sense, a new sense of rejoicing this week, not based on our circumstances, not based on how we might feel, but rejoicing in the Lord. Thank you. You are so good, so good. And we have much to rejoice in. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Lord, I pray as we leave from this place, we would leave with rejoicing, thankful hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would be a witness to those around us who are looking for joy, desperately looking in all sorts of places, but we know it's found in you. We know it's found in you, and we ask, would you help us to speak of the truth of your joy, that you've come to us, that you've come to us and given us something to rejoice in, someone to rejoice in. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we pray that many might come to Alpha tonight and find joy in you. It might be the start of a journey of finding joy in you, King Jesus. Come on, let's rejoice together, church.